This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, show 106. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. What's going on, everybody? This is Josh Dorkin, host to the Bigger Pockets podcast, here with my co-host, Mr. Brandon Turner. What up, Brandon Turner? Josh Dorkin, how are you today? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Right now I'm talking to you while you're sitting on the beach in Hawaii. Must be nice. It is really nice. Look at me sitting on... No, we recorded this ahead of time, people. Uh, But while you're listening to this, I'm probably sitting on the beach, maybe. Wow. Wow. Yeah. 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 Must feel good, huh? Feels real good. Yeah. Look at the hot girl over there. Woo. Wow, can't wait for Heather to listen to this show. It's my wife. What are you talking about? Oh, All that right. was a hot girl that walked by. Okay, just making sure. Just making sure. Oh, <laughs> uh, no, no. Things are good. Things are good. Things are good. It's it's going to be, I'm really looking forward to this week, uh, getting away from you. I mean, getting away from <laughs> life and wow. my tenants and abuse, stuff. Yeah. The abuse I take. It's horrible. It's horrible. <laughs> Well, well, listen, man. Things things are things are moving along here at Bigger Pockets, and uh, you know we're plugging along on the shows here. Today's show is awesome. Awesome. We've got a really, really, really cool show, and I'm super excited about it. You know, today's guest. Should we should we talk about him or should we? Uh, we could talk. Well, maybe we'll, we'll we'll hint. So today's show, the guest is because I did not plug it all in the in the interview. Today's guest is a perfect example of what people can do if they just follow simple creative investing ideas like the ones you can learn in my book. You like that? There you go. Well done. Well done. Okay. (laughs) He's a creative guy. Creative guy. Very creative. And, and, and he's got some amazing advice for, for folks. So we, we definitely encourage you to, uh, to listen up before that. Why, you know, we've got this, uh, new little segment that we've been doing on, on trivia, don't we? Bigger pockets trivia. (laughs) Yeah, like, like I that. said last week, we, yeah. we 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 need some kind of jingle, guys. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, you All know, right. send us an email, Brandon at Bigger Pockets, or just send it to him. I don't want to get flooded. Yeah, um, if you've got uh, any jingles that uh, you want to put together for us, and right. we can test them out. Well, since we don't have a jingle, I'll just go ahead and say the trivia here. All right. So as we announced last week, we are going to be doing weekly trivia questions here on the Bigger Pockets podcast about the previous show. So if you think you know the answer to today's question, email it to trivia at biggerpockets.com and you might win a copy of the book on investing in real estate with no low money down. Uh, and that you will get the digital and the audio version. So yeah, do it. Uh, today's question is, on the last show, we chatted with Ophelia Nicholson about how she went from minimum wage to flipping numerous houses as a full-time gig. Uh, so the question today is, Ophelia mentioned that she partnered with a certain family member on her first few flips. What family member was this? I so know. You, you, good I, job. You paid attention? What? You, you paid <laughs> Look out for the plantains uh, in the bed. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> All right, if you think you know, email us the answer to trivia at biggerpockets.com in the next week, and uh, our assistant will get in touch with you, and if you won, you'll win that cool prize. So with that, let's get to the show. All right. Well, today's show, Brandon, features a man named Mike. Yes, it does. Mike Sumsky. <laughs> All right. Mike is a real estate investor <laughs> from Kitsap County, Washington, who's done pretty much everything under this kitchen sink in real estate. Most of it is using none of his own money. In fact, he only used his own money for his first deal. So uh, today we're actually going to talk about, you know, how he kind of kicked things off, 
um, how he's done over a hundred deals, only using the bank on one of those. And it's really powerful, really exciting. And we get into a whole lot of depth on private money, finding private money, using private money, and something that we actually haven't talked about at all, which is if you're considering becoming a private money lender, what do you need to do? You know, if you got money sitting in the bank, uh, and you don't want to be a landlord. You don't want to deal with tenants and toilets. And, and you're, you're just trying to figure out, Hey, you know, how do I make some money on that cash? What do I do? Well, being a private money lender is a really good option. And the great thing is Mike is just such a smart guy and he gives us a ton of detail on this. So definitely pay attention, whichever side you're on here. Passive income without the property headache. It's possible. There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The Wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. You might think you want real estate, but that's not true. What you really want is passive income. With new investors struggling to find deals or get enough money to buy them and veteran landlords tired of the constant tenant phone calls, is there a better alternative? Actually, there is. Short notes from Connect Invest. Connect Invest is an online investing platform that allows you to easily participate in passive real estate investing, and all you need is $500 to start. Short Notes collectively funds a diversified portfolio of commercial and residential real estate projects across acquisition, construction, and development phases. You'll earn a fixed monthly income without the hassle of owning or managing real estate. Head to connectinvest.com BP to create your account. Fund your digital wallet with at least $500. Select from six, 12, and 24-month short notes with annualized return rates up to 9%. Then sit back and let your monthly returns roll in. Join today by visiting connectinvest.com VP. Connectinvest.com VP. If you're in the landlord game, then you know the importance of solid tenant screening. That's where RentReady steps in. Now, RentReady's got an important new feature, proof of income verification. And get this, with Plaid certified reports, you'll see everything from income summaries to total earnings by month. Say goodbye to those gut check moments and hello to confidence in renting with RentReady. RentReady is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. If you're not a pro, they're offering a six month plan for $1. You can't beat that. I actually don't even know how they make money doing that, but it's above my pay grade, pal. Visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I.com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP, like bigger pockets, investor, like me, to get six months of rent ready for $1, which is crazy. Uh, so, with that, why don't we bring him on? Mike, welcome to the show. It's good to have you here. Hey, it's good to be here, guys. How you doing? Doing well. We're doing oh. well. We're doing, how about yourself? Uh, pretty good. I see, Brandon, you survived the uh, big flood of 2015. I did. <laughs> I did. I, that was you know, crazy. That was that crazy. Was, did you guys I, see my video? 
I saw I you, you had two videos. Yeah. One of them you, you're like rescuing a tenant or something like that <laughs> in the middle of the water. Or... I did. It was I awful. didn't see that one. Yeah. Well, it was. Yeah. We we had a good time. It was. Uh, was it like some old lady you were carrying no, on your shoulders? I, no. I, I I was on the way to my tenant's house. He was on his bed. Here's the fear. Here's a quick. 30 second story. So we had this massive flood and one of my tenants called and said, uh, you know, I'm stuck on my bed. I can't get off my bed because he said, I'm in a basement apartment. There's about a foot of water. It's covering the baseboard heaters. And I think they're still on. Now, I would assume that the breaker would trip. Not a problem. Right. However, just the one in a million chance that the breakers didn't trip. I'm not going to tell him Yeah, Just jump in the water. See what happens. (laughs) So like I call the police and they said, we can't get over there. Sorry. That the police said that. And I'm like, wow. oh. oh, I was like, well, what do I do? And they're like, I don't know. Just have them stay there for a while. And I'm like, oh, that's not a good idea. So anyway, <laughs> my wife and I went and bought boots and we got into the, into the water and we walked over and shut his power. I actually broke into where the water heater, or I mean, where the, cause I didn't have my key with me, broke into where the electrical panel was, shut the heater off and then moved them out. So well, I know yeah. rubber like kind of protects you, but like if you're in rubber boots that are up to your knees or waist and you're walking through water, that's electrified. That <laughs> I don't think that matters. Does it? Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm not an electrician. So I don't, I'm fun, but, I don't know, know, but I was okay risking myself. I just didn't want to get sued by telling him to jump into the water. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, that's normally, crazy. normally I don't do that kind of, that was the first time and probably only time landlord activity. Yeah. But yeah. anyway, hey, well, so Mike, you're yet another Washington guy. Interesting yeah. how we're completely <laughs> Overrepresented by Washington guests. I, know. I wonder, wonder why that is, Brandon. We're, run, we're uh, overrunning this podcast with <laughs> that, Washingtonians. So. Yeah, we are. Well, you know, I meet people at local meetups and stuff, mm-hmm. just like Mike here, and we met and uh, hit it off. And I told him at the time, I said we need to get you on the show, and that was like what a year, year and a half ago. Yeah, right? it was. I was. I think it was about a year ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So anyway, I'm glad we finally got to to coordinate this together. So today we're going to talk about uh, creative real estate investing because you've done a lot of stuff. I know you've done pretty much everything that there is to do in real estate, it seems. Uh, and you've done most of it without using uh, the the traditional methods. And so that's what we're going to kind of focus on. Yep. yep. Cool. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, let's, I mean, let's just kind of jump into the story. What what got you introduced to real estate? Why did you suddenly stop whatever you were doing or just, you know, go from nowhere to real estate? What got you into this thing? Well, you know, I, I grew up in a family of uh, entrepreneurs. My parents, they, they owned a, a business. Um, it's actually semi-related real estate. Um, it was in real estate publishing, so they owned several of the homes land real estate uh, magazine franchise fa- franchises. Oh, cool. So okay. you know, just the, the magazines you see in the grocery stores, the realtors you know advertise their properties, and uh, so you, you know, I kind of was um, raised with a, some of that of that mindset. Um, <clears throat> I remember back when I was in in high school or junior high, my dad gave me this book called Think and Grow Rich, and it was a big, it was an old tattered copy. I think he'd had for. For decades, and he said, "You know, I could charge you ten thousand dollars for this book, and it would be completely worth it." And uh, you know, I just shrugged it off at the time. You know, come on, Dad, whatever. No one's going to pay ten thousand dollars for a book, but um, you know, I think <laughs> oh, I eventually yeah, they will. <laughs> that, that's right. You know, I, I think I eventually got to reading it sometime in you know late high school or or in a college. And you know, it, when I was in college, I kind of I, that was when the, the time when Rich Dad was coming out. And uh, my parents had a few rental properties of their own. And so I, you know, I kind of thought, you know, that investing is something I definitely want to do. Uh, at the time, I didn't know I wanted to do it as a business, but I thought, hey, you know, if I can pick up a rental um, and, you, you know, you do like talk about the house hacking, Brandon. And yeah. That was actually one of my, my first uh, ventures into uh, real estate. Um, I, I'd got a Carlton Sheets course. Nice. And so I know several people that have been on podcasts have mentioned that. And, 
uh, you know, that was that was kind of a false start for me. I, I I read the information, listened to the cassette tapes, I think, at the time, and <laughs> and uh, you know, you get all excited, you go out there, and it's like as far as implementing, uh, you know, I, I just hit a brick wall, and, and I thought, oh, this doesn't really work, and so um, I decided to use a realtor, a friend of mine, to. Uh, uh, go out and look for properties. And at the time, I was living in Seattle, was University of Washington. Um, and I was dating uh, my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife. And she was living in Bremerton. And Bremerton's a city, just uh, about an hour ferry ride to the west of Seattle, uh, where property values were a lot a lot cheaper than the Seattle area. And uh, I ended up finding a, uh, a triplex uh, that was on the market. And uh, it seemed like a pretty reasonable price. In fact, I think that after being able to, or after getting my mortgage and uh, uh, renting out the other two units, I, I think my total cost of, of living would be about $150 or $200 a month. So I thought, you know, this is perfect. Um, I'll be able to have my first place. I'll be able to rent it out. And I actually had a plan at the time to convert one of the larger units um, and split that so I could make a fourplex. So got my offer accepted, was about a week and a half away from closing, and I lost my job. Oh, no. <laughs> so, yeah, it bad was bad timing. Uh, it, it was it was bad timing, and uh, so I, I had to get out of that deal. Unfortunately, um, you know, in hindsight, I wish I would have just found some way to, uh, to you know to actually get the deal done. I don't know if I could have you know not mentioned that I had lost my job, but I figured you know I, I'd saved up enough money. I could probably handle one hundred fifty dollars a month for a while while I was uh, searching for something new. And um, I was an engineer at the time. Um, and my, my engineering, you know, since I lost my job, I lost that chance at that, uh, that triplex, uh, I kind of gave up for a bit, but I still had the interest in getting, you know, into real estate. And that's when I actually uh, found the local real estate club that I belong to now. It's uh, real estate association of Puget Sound. Um, and I, it was there that I, I met people that were kind of into this whole creative real estate, wholesaling, you know, all the different, you know, methods of finding motivated sellers, and spent about a year and a half kind of in that little circuit, getting education, but not taking action. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't, a, yeah, and that was, a, that was the big thing. I mean, I, I, I talk about this now when I have people that are new that come to me, and it's, you know, that's the biggest trap to fall into is trying to learn everything before uh, you take action. Because, you know, you just never get started. So a lot of it is on yeah. the job. How, how, do you, how do you think you overcome that? I mean, how, what do you tell people, you know, do you just say, go, just go do something, just, you know, jump overboard and do it? Or, or what do you... What kind of advice do you give to people who are facing that today? Well, you know, I think that you learn enough to to start taking action because you, you're not going to know everything, um, and most of the most of the learning is going to be done on the job. So, um, just just for an example, when I uh, when I finally got into action, I was doing um, a couple things. I one, I I bought bandit signs, and I, I started putting those up everywhere. Um, I don't do them anymore, um, but at the time, I started getting calls. So as soon as sellers started calling me, I was I was forced into action. And, and, you know, I, I realized that everything that I learned in a book doesn't really uh, matter until, uh, you know, you, you actually get that call and you start learning from actually doing. Um, yep. The other thing I did was uh, I started knocking doors. And that was a really, really scary experience for me. Uh, you know, going out and, you know, I, I, people say that I look kind of young right now, but 10 years ago uh, when I got started, <laughs> I looked like I was in high school. So the, the thought of like this uh, this kid going up to a door and, and saying, you know, I want to buy your property uh, was was pretty scary. So my first deal actually came from a door knock. Really? And it happened. I, I was going to say, yeah, can you can you kind of tell us what, what your what was the pitch? I mean, what do, what do you do? Who are you walking <laughs> up to? What doors are you banging on? And when you get there, what what were you saying? 
Yeah, well, back then I was I had got a list of pre foreclosure properties, okay. and um, so w- what I would do is I'd, I'd go to the door and I'd, I'd knock on the door and and you know basically my my pitch was uh, something along the lines of. Uh, you know, I know there there may be an issue with the mortgage on the property, and uh, I, I can help you if you want to stay, or I can help you if you want to sell. You know, so what's your situation? You know, so what's your situation? And I got a lot of uh, weird looks, and some people slammed the door in my face. But this one uh, woman answered the door, and and she said, "Well, you know, I we, we we're letting the house go to foreclosure. Um, you know, we can't even sell it if we wanted to because we owe more than it's worth." Yeah. And you know, the one thought I had was, you know, I, I know there's this thing called a short sale, but I really didn't know how to do a short sale. So I, I just mentioned what I what I knew about. It. I said, you know, your bank may be willing to let you sell for less than what you owe. You know, is can I get a little more information? And she said, well, my husband, he's at work right now. He's going to come back later. Can you uh, maybe come back this afternoon? And so, you know, as soon as I left that house, I ran home. Um, this is, you know, long before I discovered bigger pockets. But hey, mom, <laughs> <laughs> I, I need some help. <laughs> Can you make me lunch? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, it's actually funny. I, I, I think I might have, mo- that's back when I, I think I'd moved back to my parents at that point after college. So yeah, that, that, that might've been an accurate statement. <laughs> 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 but at, at any rate, I, I went online and, and there's, you know, I found a real estate forum that I used to post to every now and then. And, and I, I just put it out there. I said, you know, I have the seller and they want to do a short sale. You know, what do I do? And uh, I got a lot of help. Um, and I was able to get enough information to go back with the purchase and sale agreement and, uh, you know, get this house under contract at a price that I thought would work as an investment. Um, I really didn't know anything about private money or how to finance. In fact, that first deal was the first and only deal that I've ever done where I actually got bank financing. Really? Uh, yeah. So I stumbled through the short sale process. Uh, I asked for a lot of help from uh, you know local real estate investors when I come up to a problem, and I actually got this deal accepted. Um, and then I proceeded to do you know the cardinal sin and and these types of transactions, uh, which I didn't know it was a bad thing at the time. But I thought, hey, you know these people didn't want to move, so I thought, well, best of all scenarios, I'll keep them in the house and rent to them, and then give them the option to buy it back, which. You're talking about the people who stop paying their mortgage. That's right. Oh, those people. Okay, I'm just. I'm just. I just want to clarify. Just want to clarify. That's like, all. like I, like I said, I was, I was young. And, <laughs> you know, I thought I was doing the right thing. You know, I thought, yeah. you know, this is a good thing to do. Now, fortunately, um, everything ended up being great with this transaction. So I got my bank financing. I had a low mortgage, so the, my rent that the, the rent that they paid me was much lower than their mortgage was. So I had good cash flow. They actually did buy the house back from me really? after about 18 months. Oh, wow. Uh, when they bought it, they had about 50000 in equity. And uh, you know when they bought it back from me, and then I made about $40,000 on the deal. So I was very fortunate to actually have it work out well. But uh, it, it was shortly after I started this transaction when I was talking to other investors about what I did. And they said, uh, well, you should not have done that. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I can't say I'd recommend it, you know. But that's yeah. cool that I worked out like that. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I want to hear, you know, for for those people who don't quite understand how that whole thing would work, right? So you're an investor. You walk walk up. They're they're upside down, and mm-hmm. you're trying to help them to to kind of put together this the short sale, right? So can you just explain what did you do specifically? Like, what did you have to do? What did they have to do? How did you end up getting owner, you know, a piece of the deal, and how, how did all that come together? Just you know, again, for if, yeah. if people don't understand this stuff, it could be kind of daunting. 
Well, so, uh, you know, I think that things have changed quite a bit uh, since when I did it. Um, and in fact, in Washington state, uh, you know, they've since passed legislation which uh, limits, you know, what you can do with pre-foreclosure properties. And I know there's other laws around the country for that. And it's meant to protect the the seller. But, you know, a lot of times what it does is it, you know, hurts an investor's opportunity to do some of these deals. So back then, I actually, I did, did, did all of the negotiating with the bank myself. So I got a purchase and sale agreement at a price that was less than what the seller owed, but it was at a price that I felt would work as an investment. Um, I, you know, I don't really know how I came up with that number, but it seemed a, a good number to me. And uh, the bank was, uh, you know, we, we submitted everything to the lender. They requested a, uh, a hardship package, which was, you know, the seller's financial information and a statement about why they fell behind in payments. Um, then they did a broker's price opinion. So a broker came out to the property, estimated what the value was, and determined if the offer I was giving them would be better than what they might get if they took it through the foreclosure process. So that was kind of the on the purchase side of things. Again, it, you know, I didn't know anything about raising private money, so I thought, well, this the next logical thing is to go get a, apply for a bank loan. And uh, at the time, um, I, when I did this deal, I had started working again. Actually, um, I got a pretty good job uh, selling surgical equipment. I was a neurosurgical salesperson, and uh, so I had decent income. I was able to qualify for this loan. And then when I, I purchased the property, I figured, you know, what price could I sell this to, which would be, I guess, basically market value in a year or so to this, this family that would, you know, ensure that if once they closed and bought it back from me, I'd be making some money. And, uh, you know, they, they, you know, that was during the time when the market was really, you know, appreciating a lot. So the house values went up way more than, you know, what I had actually agreed to sell it to them for. So that's kind of how the, the, the process went. But again, you know, I would not recommend anybody do this now. Um, especially the part of the you know letting the person stay in the property because uh, you know more times than not it doesn't really end very well. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. No, that's great. That's great. Cool. So, so you do this deal, and you know it's it's kind of working. It's going it's going okay. What happens next? You know, is, do you have the bug all of a sudden? You're like, all right, I'm I'm just doing this. I mean, you're doing the medical uh, equipment, surgical sales. Yep. Um, so probably doing pretty well, and. You said that was the last deal that you got financing for, and therefore you were doing creative, right? That's right. So, why? And my question is, why somebody who actually has the financial wherewithal to use their 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 money do you decide? Hey, I'm going to just start doing this creative stuff. Yeah, well, or I'm, you, I'm making assumptions about. Yeah, well, so financial. one of the things that um, I you know obviously realized that is when I started getting other uh, calls from sellers, a lot of the properties that they were. Um, that they had what I wanted to buy would not be financeable by a regular mortgage anyway. Um, and, you know, so I, I, I realized that in order to be able to purchase these, I was going to have to get creative. Um, I started learning about private money at the time. So, um, you know, shortly after I did this particular deal, I got a call on a bandit sign from another property. It happened to be another short sale. So I had two short sales in a row. Um, but this particular one, they had two mortgages, a first and a second. And one of the investors that had helped me um, give me some advice on doing the first short sale, I came to him and I said, you know, I've got this other deal. I really, I don't really know exactly how to do it, but if you can help me out, I'd be happy to give you half of the profit. And so, you know, that was, that's one thing that I've learned and I've actually, you know, kind of taken now that I've, I'm, you know, a lot more experienced and people come to me. I realized that, you know, giving up half of this investment to an experienced investor that allows me to learn while I'm doing is, uh, you know, I, I'd, I'd rather do that than get all of nothing. Yeah. So, so the, the second deal, um, we actually, 
short sailed the second mortgage and took the first mortgage over subject to. So um, the, they had two loans. They were overfinanced, but um, the, the first mortgage alone was um, you know, low enough that if we were to buy the house by just discounting the second and take over the payments on the existing first loan, then we could still we could buy the property without very much cash out of pocket. So um, you know, I don't know if you want me to describe kind of how that works a little bit, but allowed us to get into the house with less than $5,000. Yeah, sure. Let's hear it. Uh, like maybe you can go a little more into that. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know the exact numbers. It's been so long ago, but um, if let's just assume that we have a, a seller who owes a, a, a property that, for round numbers, is worth a hundred thousand dollars, and maybe they have a a seventy thousand dollar first mortgage and a thirty five thousand dollar second mortgage. Well, what I did at the time was I the the property was uh, going into default. I uh, I contacted the the, the seller, and the seller is not going to make any money from this, no matter what. Uh, they're basically the only options they have are to try to reinstate the mortgage and keep the property, which that wasn't an option for them financially, um, or do a short sale. And so with that particular transaction, we contacted the second lender um, who had, say, like the $35,000 second mortgage. If that was to go to auction, that lender would get nothing. So what we did is we negotiated so that instead of getting nothing, they got, I think it was $1,500. So we discounted the mortgage over, they say, $33,000 and bought the property by uh, cashing out the second loan and taking over the debt on the first mortgage subject to. So the debt stayed in the seller's name, but uh, we bought the house. And when I say we, it was me and the the, the partner that I, I talked about giving half the deal to. Can you talk about real quick? So you took it over subject two, and and you know I don't know if we're going to make subject two. You know, we're probably not a major focus of this uh, sure. episode. But what are the downsides of that? I mean, that sounds really great, right? Like, oh, I can just go take somebody's mortgage and start right. paying on it. Like, mm-hmm. why is that not? More yeah, there's, there, and their name yeah, and their name stays on on the note, and you, yeah. You, yeah. you get all the benefits without any of the headaches, right? I mean, yeah, so, well, so yay, win, right? <laughs> or well, there there there's definitely. Um, some things that you, you certainly have to disclose if you're doing a transaction like that. So essentially what you're doing is you're buying the house, but the, the existing seller's loan is not getting paid off at closing. Right. Um, the, 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 biggest, the biggest thing that needs to be disclosed is that if the loan's not paid off, that there's a due-on-sale clause on that loan, which um, can give the lender the right to call that loan due if it's uh, title transfers. So the, the seller basically is putting their credit in my hands at that point. So you, you definitely have to disclose to the seller in writing that they completely understand this is what's going on. Um, you know, at the time I was I, I, I don't I really do subject to anymore because of I've had a bit a chance to be able to get a pretty good, you know, private money so I can pay cash for most of anything that I purchase now. But at the time it was this, the the reason that the seller would be willing to do that is they didn't really have any other options. They're probably gonna lose the house to foreclosure. And I was able to show them that, you know, we are gonna be bringing money in to purchase this house. We're not gonna get paid until their loan ultimately gets paid off. So, you know, we have a, uh, we have a high uh, incentive to do everything that we say we're going to do um, so that we can ultimately resell the house and get a profit. So, you okay. know, that, that's kind of how that went, transaction went down. And, and I, I started learning about private money, uh, you know, shortly after that one. So I started doing more cash transactions rather than the, uh, you know, the creative subject to type deals. Okay, so for those people who don't know what private money is, um, I, I want to... I want to touch on that quite a bit because that's one of the things that you know I've I've heard you talk about before and I think is awesome. So, uh, but before we get there, Matt, I can ask you a couple kind of setup questions. First of all, how many yeah. deals since that point? Since you've only done one with bank financing, how have you? How many have you done since then? 
Or do you? Uh, I probably I, I lost count, but it's probably somewhere around 120 to 125 deals. That's awesome, wow. and, and okay. only a bank on one of them, and only a bank on the one. Wow. Yep. Okay. So, and, and what kind of what kind of deals are are those? You know, what do those yeah. include? Yeah, it, there's a there's a good mix in there. Um, you know, I've I started wholesaling, and I continue to wholesale. So basically, that's uh, you know negotiating a, a good price on a property, but finding a you know a rehabber who uh, you know would pay me for the right for me to be able to sign that contract over to them. So um, you know, I've done some quick wholesale transactions. Uh, you know, where obviously I don't need any money. I, uh, I've also done uh, um, complete full, you know, seller finance deals where um, the seller owns the property free and clear. And, uh, you know, I may make a cash offer at a, at a big discount where uh, for the seller, that price would be too low for them to be willing to sell. Um, and if they might be taking that money and sticking it in a bank anyway, um, I would uh, say, well, you know, if, if uh, this cash price wouldn't work, uh, I can pay you more if you'd be willing to carry a contract. And basically, the seller would be a bank to me. So instead of me paying uh, a bank or a private lender, I make monthly payments to the seller. So that is another way that I was able to do uh, transactions without uh, you know, any of my cash um, you know, or getting you know, bank financing. Uh, you know, I own quite a few buy and hold rentals now. Uh, let's see, I've done um, you know, seller financing, short sales, Subject to wholesaling, uh, you know, I do a little bit of everything, but it's not a lot of any one thing. I wouldn't say that I'm a, a big expert at just, you know, one particular strategy. Um, I guess I, I kind of learned to be somewhat of a transaction engineer. So, uh, you know, I go into a situation where a, a seller has a problem with the house and I figure, how can I solve that problem and make a profit? It, it may mean buying cash at a big discount or it may, be, uh, it may mean getting the seller a higher price if they can have more flexible terms. That's so, great. That's great. Yep. And, and I think, you know, to, to everybody listening, that's, that's your job. You know, as a that's real right. estate investor, your job is to solve the problems of the sellers and you pick it up and do with it however, you know, what you're going to do with it. Right. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's, that's awesome. Yep. Um, I know Brandon, I know you wanted to kind of dig in on the private money stuff. Yeah. I mean, you, you, why don't we just do that? I mean, what is private money and how does it work? <clears throat> so private money is uh, is where you get to use other people's money in order to purchase real estate. Okay, so um, we, and when I say private money, it's a, I have a distinction of private money versus uh, what some people call hard money. And uh, you know, hard money is uh, typically loans that are made by people that loan money for a living. You know, professional money lenders. Uh, yeah. With with hard money, you're usually paying a higher interest rate, and you're often paying points. And, um, and those loans tend to be short-term loans because a, a hard money lender's job is to be able to churn that money as fast as possible. Um, if they're getting four points and 12% interest, uh, you know, that money will make more money for them if they can uh, re-lend that, you know, that amount out you know, frequently. So say every four months or every six months. So generally those, those types of loans, you know, they're very valuable, I think, for an investor to have in their, um, their arsenal to be able to just pay cash for a place by using a private or hard money lender. But um, there comes a point when uh, you know, you're limited on the types of deals that you can do if you are, are just limited to high interest, um, high points, uh, short-term money. So yeah. private money, in my opinion, would be more classified as um, money that is uh, other people's money. Um, it's usually lent by somebody who's not in the business of, of lending uh, money. Uh, you're usually able to get that money at a lot uh, lower interest rate and usually a lot longer time frame. Um, 
So, you know, and in, in fact, I found that it's sometimes easier to get low interest private money than it is to get high interest private money. Interesting. 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 Yeah. So, yeah, uh, private money could be your mom, it could be your uncle, it could be the postman, it could be the guy mm-hmm. at Kinko's, right? That's right. Okay. That's right. And, and I, I'd love you to explain that last thing. Why, why have you found it easier to get low interest private money versus high interest private money? Well, or when how, you, when, how are you doing that? <laughs> um, you know, if, if you don't mind, I can give you a little story about how I got my first low interest private lender, which uh, might explain some of this. Okay. Oh, you know, I, I did borrow, um, I did find some initially some kind of more hard money lenders. These are, say, the 12% interest folks. And uh, when the market was um, kind of booming in the, you know, the mid-2000s or so, or uh, 2004, 2006, uh, I, uh, I was using, you know, 12, I was buying money or properties with 12% money with the intention to fix them and flip them. So um, it, it works pretty well if you're fixing them and flipping them. But if for some reason you can't sell a house... It's really hard to cash flow uh, a property with a 12% interest you know, loan. So yep. I, I happen to have one of these properties that I intended to flip. And um, you know, I got a 12% loan with a, you know, a six-month balloon payment. And this was back in uh, 2007, which was kind of right near the top of the market. So this particular house I fixed up and was, uh, you know, tried to sell, and I couldn't. Um, you know, I lowered the price and I still couldn't sell it. And so, you know, this, I, I think I had, uh, you know, $210,000, uh, at 12% interest, which basically that's a $2,100 a month payment plus taxes and insurance. And the place could maybe rent out for 15 or 1600 bucks a month. So I was in a, a little bit of predicament and, um, you know, coincidentally, I, uh, uh, you know, I knew a person through my, my wife's side of the family who um, I'd met and talked about real estate quite a bit. And he had a lot of rental properties. He was a retired, uh, you know, he was still a landlord, but he was retired from his main business. And he just basically managed his rentals. And so, you know, I, I, I had a sincere interest in learning from this guy. And I, I, I ended up asking him if, he, uh, if I could buy him lunch and kind of pick his brain about real estate. And, and while, I was, uh, while I met with him, I was starting to talk about kind of what he was doing with his properties and, you know, his history as a real estate investor and I found out that he owned a lot of rentals and, you know, a lot of times he sold houses on contract. So, uh, you know, I, I think when, a, when an investor sells a house on a contract, they're usually longer term notes and they're usually at lower interest rates. Yep. So it was pretty clear that he, he was happy with a little lower rate. Um, you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't really um, discuss any particular deals with him at the time, but, uh, you know, I, I, I stayed in touch with him. And uh, I think a few weeks after this, this meeting, I sent him a letter. And I thought, you know, I'm wondering if, if he would be willing to invest on this, this deal so I can refinance out of this 12% money. And I thought, you know, if I could get it down to, say, 9%, I'd probably be okay. I'd have a little bit of a negative cash flow, but it would be enough that I could probably sustain until I sold it. Uh, so, you know, in, the, in this letter I wrote, I, I thought, you know, I, I need to leave a little room for negotiation. So I asked him if he, uh, if he had, you know, 210000 that was not earning a 7% return and if he'd consider you know, investing with me on this property. Well, instead of, uh, you know, really negotiating, he came back and said, you know, 7% seems about right. And, and he said, when can I see the place? So, you know, I about stumbled out of my chair when I heard him say that. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. You know, you know, I thought, gosh, there's, you know, I, in, in the past, you know, the, the way I was taught about private money back at the time is it wasn't the cost of money that, that matters. It's the availability. So, um, you know, back then it was, you know, a lot of the, the old timers that were, 
teaching real estate, the gurus were saying, you know, I pay 12%, I'd pay 15%, five, 10 points. It didn't matter. As long as I was making money, you know, it didn't matter what I paid. So I kind of had a, a fear of asking for a lower rate because I thought there's no way that this smart person here is going to accept it. But, um, you know, he did. And I, a, a week later, I had, you know, $210,000 at 7% and uh, refinanced out of this, this other loan. And it allowed me to now rent that property and have essentially a break-even cash flow. Yeah. Um, so the biggest lesson at that point was, you know, smart investors with a lot of money think 7% is a great return. Yep. Yeah. And it is. Um, well, you got you know you got money in the bank making zero point what absolutely. percent? I mean, yeah, seven percent is a is a gimme. That's right. And, and the stock market in two thousand seven wasn't you know wasn't going to have a real future for the yeah, next couple of yeah. years. So yeah, and so so the the biggest lesson and you know Joshua, when you're asking you know why is it sometimes easier to get low interest money than it is high interest money? Um, what I found is that for the folks that that um, you want to borrow money from you that you want to invest with you. Uh, they often equate high return with high risk. So the, often a double-digit interest rate return is a little bit scary because for, for, for most of us, especially if, if you know, you've not been doing this for a long time, as far as um, you know, like hard money lenders, they, they understand real estate. They understand it's secure. They, they invest money at a, at a low loan-to-value. Um, they can ask for those high returns um, and it's, and it's a, it's a good investment for them. But for the, for the t- folks that want their money just to kind of sit there for a long time, earning a consistent return, uh, you know, when you hear double digit returns, you think, Ooh, high return. Yeah, it's cool. But you know, that's also comes at a high risk. Yeah. So 7% and, you know, down I'm, I'm now I'm basically down to 6% for, uh, for most of my, my private You're a thief. <laughs> <laughs> I I love, I mean, I love that. Like that, that low, I mean, relatively low interest rate private money is what every real estate investor would love to have. Yeah. I mean, we, that, that is the golden goose or whatever. I mean, like, that's amazing. So maybe you can offer some advice to the listeners and to me. I mean, how do we, how do we, (laughs) I mean, how do you, do you just ask the guy? I mean, is that as simple as sending a letter? I mean, is there a, is there a method you would recommend for people approaching people about the private money? Yeah, well, you know, I think um, with with my first low interest private lender, it was a it was a matter of, um, you know, he's been doing it for a long time. Uh, he's obviously he's retired, but he was buying real estate when he was my age. And uh, you know, I think that at that by by meeting with him and kind of picking his brain uh, and talking about my business and asking him about what he did when he was my age, you know, maybe he saw a little bit of of um, of him when he was younger in me. Yep. And uh, you know, I I was genuinely interested. In, in learning from him and asking him questions and getting his advice. And, uh, you know, I think that he saw that, uh, you know, I was somewhat of a go-getter. I, I uh, you know, I could recognize a deal. Um, he obviously understood that, um, you know, he understood real estate. Um, you know, in fact, most of my private lenders, you know, almost all of them, actually, I think all of them, they've owned a lot of rental real estate in the past. And they're, they're kind of to the point now where uh, they they love real estate. They're interested in it, but they're not interested in managing tenants or or dealing with toilets and you know all that stuff. But they know that an investment that's secured by real property that's purchased at a discount um, that is an income producing property is is a pretty good bet when it comes to security. Oh, okay, yeah. so um, you know part part of part of finding th- those types of private lenders is to kind of get an idea of who's what what is that demographic. 
you know. And so, you know, like I found, you know, retired folks that own real real estate in the past. Um, you know, it's about getting to know a lot of people and having them understand what you do. And then at the same time, that the other switch for me was um, kind of turning the tables on that whole private money negotiation from something where I don't feel like I'm borrowing money because when you're a borrower of money, you feel like you have to. Uh, the, the, the person who has the money is the prize. You know, yeah. That's what I'm after. And whenever you have that, uh, that dynamic in a negotiation where, where one thing is sought, out, sought after more than uh, another, so if I'm prizing that, that money where it's very scarce and i got to convince this guy to lend to me, well, I'm not going to get the money. Yeah. Um, what, what I've learned is you know, money right now is it's, it's abundant. There's millions and billions of dollars out there that's not earning a good return. But there is not a lot of avenues for that for those folks to invest that's that provides a good, consistent, secure rate of return. And so by me having the deal, I have the prize. I have yeah. I have what's what's wanted. So it's it's less of me asking or trying to convince them to lend, more of it's more of, hey, I have this opportunity and I, I use private lenders. And you know, uh, you know, folks like you, um, you mind if I ask you a few questions to see if you know your money is right for my deal. Yeah, it's great. I, I love it. it. I love it. it. And, you know, me and Josh both read this book last year and it was in like one of my top five business books of the year, that post I put out, but it was called Pitch Anything by Oren Claff. And it was very yeah. much one of the focuses of this, of that entire book was, you know, they are not the prize. You are the prize. Right. Yeah. And, you know, a couple of years ago, that same thing happened to me. There was like this switch in my head where I realized that and it completely changed my business forever. I mean, where all mm-hmm. of a sudden I realized I didn't need to beg for money. I had a good deal. I knew what I was doing. I mean, like most people don't know what they're doing in real estate. I kind of knew what I was doing, so okay. I was the prize, and uh, it's an amazing place to be. So yeah, yeah so so it's clear that you know, obviously, I've got that book on my my bookshelf here. And that's, nice. That's, um, uh, it, it. It would not be a book. I'm not going to recommend that one at the at the end, but uh, it is probably one of the best books that someone can get on uh, raising private money. Yep. And I uh, fully so agree. highly, awesome. highly recommend it. Whether you need to buy or sell, or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find a home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours even on the same day with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help you get the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. Listeners, I'm telling you right now, it's not every day you find a game changer like Rent Ready. They're not stopping with just tenant screening. They've rolled out proof of income verification. Let Rent Ready handle the heavy lifting with automatic checks on financial stability and earnings. Plus, with Plaid certified reports, you'll have all the info you need right at your fingertips. Rent Ready is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. And if you're not a pro, they're offering the six month plan for just $1. How great of a deal is that? That's one eighth of a Chipotle. That's pretty good. Visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I.com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP, like Bigger Pockets, Investor, to get six months of Rent Ready for $1. We're always looking for ways to improve. 
searching for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for better is by matching with quality candidates. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Just go to Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high-quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal Do Not Call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com slash BP. I've got a, I've got a kind of a reverse question. Say uh-huh. I'm somebody who's got some money. I'm listening to the Bigger Pockets podcast and I've got, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars sitting around in the bank. And, you know, I don't know. I've toyed with the idea of becoming an investor. I don't want to be a landlord. And I'm like, you know, I want to lend private money. You know, yep. A guy like you comes to me, what's my job? You know, how do I yeah. go about making sure you're the real deal? You're not full of it. You know, how do I, how do I, you know, so, so flip, flip this for us if, if, sure. if you would, because I think we don't really talk about that enough. I think we usually hit the other side. Like, how do you find those guys? Well, if I'm right. one of those guys, now what? Yeah, I think you have to, to vet the, uh, the, the deal and the person. Okay, so it's important um, as a, if you've got the money that you're looking to lend on a deal, uh, you know, you, you can't just trust Everything that you hear from the investor, you have to be able to to go out and do some of your own due diligence, um, you know, on the on that uh, on the property. Um, so, you know, if an investor says, "Hey, this this place is worth uh, two hundred thousand, and I'm buying it for one hundred and ten, you know, you're going to want to see some information that the either investor investor can provide that you can can vet and double check. Uh, you know, I I would definitely want to have a real estate agent on my team as a as a private money lender so that you can get a good idea for for values. Um, you know, you want to be able to make sure that the investor is prepared with, you know, their their research on the property. So, do they have um, a good, uh, you know, firm written estimate for for repairs from a licensed contractor? Uh, do they have a time frame for you know, how long is this this property is going to take? I mean, market conditions can change. Um, does this investor have a plan B? So, you know, a lot of times people go into a deal with a plan A only. So, I said, oh, yeah. hey, I, if I I'm going to buy this with the intent, all I'm going to do is flip it. 
And then they find out that if, you know, they might, plan A doesn't always happen. And so they have to go to plan B. If everything fell apart, um, what's the worst that could happen? You know, so if, if you're a private lender, can you, uh, would you be able to recover your, your principal, get, get your investment out? Um, the other thing I would want to make sure as a private lender is, uh, you know, is this, uh, do I have a first mortgage? Is there any other investors that are investing in this deal? Um, you know, I've, I've heard stories of people that have had second mortgages that were behind large first mortgages where the investors stopped paying on the first. And, uh, you know, they, they, in order for them to protect their, their mortgage, they'd have to actually cash out the first lender. They might not have enough money to do that. So you, you want to understand, uh, you know, who's investing in the property. Is this the first? Is this the second mortgage? Um, obviously, yeah, you know, first mortgages are, are the safest. Um, you also want to kind of get to know the experience of the investor. Now, I would not say that um, in, in order to be able to borrow private money, you have to have a lot of experience um, because, you know, everybody has to start from from ground zero. You know, everybody has to do their first deal. And, uh, you know, if that if that brand new investor is able to have enough, you know, good experienced people on their team and they find a great deal that um, the deal itself, you know, is that good security and so, um, one of the things, if if the if the deal is good, you want to make sure that um, if everything goes wrong in this deal, can that can is your money still protected? So, what's the worst that can happen? And uh, so, some of the things that might be the worst that could happen is, you know, the investor thinks that this property is worth two hundred. Um, you want to be able to lend money at a low enough loan to value where if you had to discount that property to sell it, do a say like a fire sale. You know, if you discounted that house 20%, would you still be able to get your cash back? You know, for, for instance, um, you know, one of the rules that I have is whenever I buy a piece of real estate, I will not fund it more than 70% of the fixed up value. So if, if that house is worth 200000 fixed up, I'm not going to borrow more than 140000 And what that does is it protects me as an investor and it also protects the private lender. So that if I got hit by a bus um, or if I stopped paying, you know, would that would that lender be able to liquidate that property and get their investment back? Yep. So I had coffee with a guy last a couple of weeks ago uh, who was a private lender. On his first deal, he lent on a private loan, but it was a, he lent a second mortgage, uh, mm-hmm. and he lent on the rehab budget on the property, not just like so. The first mortgage was the entire purchase price. Then he lent all the repair money for the second. Well, the guy took the money and ran, and uh, now he's out. Got this property. He's out of his money. The property's not fixed up. It's right. Yeah. And so he's under, he has just nothing he can do. I mean, like they can foreclose, but he's second mortgage isn't going to get anything. And I mean, those are the dangers that when you don't necessarily know what you're doing when you get into it. I mean, everyone makes mistakes. And I, I actually think he'll be able to turn it around. Like we talked for quite a while on how he can, you know, probably rehab it himself and at least get most of his money back. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot of dangers in private lending and that kind of shows what could happen. Yeah. So you bring up a good point. So, uh, you know, when I, when I borrow private money, I do borrow the rehab funds and, uh, you know, my, my lenders have been doing this long enough that, you know, I can borrow the, the, the full amount of the rehab at closing. Um, but if you're, if you're about to, if you're going to lend private money, uh, to somebody, you know, for the first time, I would, I would not recommend giving that, that investor all of the money for the rehab, uh, you know, the first time around. So, um, for instance, if it, if it needs $30,000 and fix up, you can arrange it so you're going to be doing draws. So you do enough money to, to close the property and um, enough to get started on the remodel. Uh, 
you know, then be able to have somebody that can inspect the the work that's being done, so that when it comes time for doing the second draw, that you can you can monitor that and, and release that money over time. That's that's how hard money lenders do deals. Yep. Yeah. So you know, if you're a private money lender, um, you you may want to kind of look and say, hey, what do what do hard money lenders look for? Um, nowadays, they they'll pull credit of uh, an investor a lot of times. See, you know, is this person paying their bills? And and uh, you know that some private or hard money lenders will will do that as a um, a condition of giving the loan. Not all of yeah. them. Yeah. Um, and, and to add to that, as a borrower, what I typically have done when I try to get private money, I'll actually just go to like, you know, creditkarma.com, which is like mm-hmm. get a free credit report. I'll print that entire thing out and I'll give it to my private lender. And yes. like without him asking for it. And That's right. yeah, just upfront, like I want to be completely open. Here's what my credit history looks like right now. And That's right. Uh, th- that thing goes so far. I mean, that goes so far just in that openness uh, to be able to attract money. So it's just, yeah. yeah. And, I, and I do the same thing and I, I highly recommend that. Um, you know, and here's the other thing. If you're an investor, you're borrowing money for a deal from a private lender. Uh, you have to do everything to make sure that lender gets paid, even if it means that you're not eating. Okay. So, yeah. um, yep. you know, I, that, you know, that's the, the one thing I, you know, when the market was going up and it was easy to make money, things were great. But, you know, I was through this market when the market crashed and I went from, you know, doing two deals a month, making a ton of money to, all of a sudden, I was not buying nearly as many houses as I was in the past. I had a full staff, and I had an office, and a lot of expenses. But I always made sure that you know, if I had a payment due to a private lender, they were getting paid. Yeah, and yeah. you know, so you. Well, you, if you, you don't, the word's going to spread, and you're never going to get anybody's money ever again. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, 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 where would I? You know, all right. We talked about the reverse. Let, let's go back to to looking for for lenders. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all about relationships, right? I mean, what what's the best way to to formulate a plan to get your first private money? Is it, you know, take everybody on your Facebook and take every all your friends in your inner circle and say, hey, okay, who's got money? Hit those guys up, um, and then you know, see if they know somebody who knows somebody, or do you literally just you know make sure to tell everybody that you know what exactly you do. Um, always make sure you're talking about real estate, and always make sure you're you know you let them know that. Listen, there's a whole funnel of deals that are, you know, always available and I'm always seeking, you know, funds to 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 finance those deals. I mean, is that kind of the approach you take? Yeah, you know, I don't go and advertise for private money. I don't hit my 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 list of of, you know, people on Facebook or LinkedIn or or that sort of thing saying, "Hey, who's got money that they want to lend on a deal?" Yeah. Um, you know, I'm I'm much more subtle about it. Um, I typically um I I like, you know, people know what I do. You know, I I'm a I've been a full-time real estate investor for 10 years. Uh, they know I flip houses, uh, you know, flipping houses and rental properties and that sort of thing. It's it's a sexy business. A lot of times people have questions about it. So, uh, you know, if it comes up in, in discussion, uh, a lot of times, you know, people ask me questions about what I do because, you know, creative real estate investing and, uh, you know, people see all those houses or shows online about flip this house and, and uh, you know, they go, wow, that's, you know, you, so you're like those guys on TV. Um, <laughs> just you know, like them, just, just like exactly, them. you know, all that drama and everything and <laughs> no, but, uh, you know, in the process yeah. of, of, uh, you know, discussing this, I mean, occasionally that will come up where, where someone will say, you know, you do this for a living, you know, I, I, I didn't think they're giving mortgages out or, you know, I, um, you know, I heard that's, that's, uh, you know, how, how do you fund all these? You have cash. And, and I said, well, no, you know, I, Actually, I use private lenders. You know, you know, folks just like you might have money sitting in the bank or a CD and not getting a, you know, a, a secure return. Um, so a lot of times people will invest with me. Uh, you know, when I when I buy my real estate and 
you know, it's kind of like a push pull type thing. I never try to get too eager. Um, again, it's that pitch anything book where, you know, you, you want to be the prize. You don't want to be out there, um, you know, begging for, for someone to work with you. So, um, you know, I, I, I usually play a little hard to get, I might say something if they ask about, you know, are you taking on other investors or, uh, something like that. I, you know, I might say, well, you know, I've, I've got a lot of investors and lenders that are waiting for other deals. So, you know, at this point, uh, you know, I, I probably wouldn't, I'm, I'm probably not taking on too many other investors. Uh, but you know, Hey, if, if something falls through in the future with somebody else that's got a deal or somebody else that normally would lend to me, I mean, do you want me to contact you? You know, I can't guarantee it'll happen in the next year or so, but, um, is that something you want me to touch base with you about? And, you know, sometimes I'll say, yeah, you know, I, I'd like that. So, um, so, cool. you know, it, it, it's about, it's about getting the word out of what you do. Um, it's not being too eager, not throwing up over somebody, um, about, uh, you know, borrowing money. And, and I think it's also about putting yourself in locations and situations where you're around those types of, uh, those uh, types of people. So, um, you know, landlord associations, uh, you know, I, I haven't actively done this, but I've heard of some people say, you know, go to like charity events, you know, go to charity events, you're obviously surrounding yourself with people that have a lot of money. And, uh, you know, it's about networking and, and, you know, just being yourself and, uh, um, and expanding your network. Is is that kind of like, you know, going to a funeral to pick up girls? <laughs> I mean, is that, is it like a Vince Vaughn? Uh, Owen oh or something? man. That, yeah. That, that's a little unkosher, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think that, um, uh, I, I'll give you another, another great source of private money is, is, is sellers. Funerals. Oh, oh. <laughs> what'd you say, Brandon? <laughs> Funerals. Funerals. <laughs> oh, jeez. No, um, I'll, I'll give you. You guys are doing a good job of raising the bar for real estate. <laughs> really, really, that's what's happening. Yeah, go to a funeral, get some good money. Yeah. Anyway, you were saying. Well, one of one of my best private lenders happens to be someone who sold me a house, um, and when they sold me the property, it was on a, a seller finance transaction. So, uh, you know, happened to be a landlord on the place, free and clear. Really, really good guy. Uh, you know, he didn't like my cash price because it was low, but you know, he didn't have a place to put the money. He was going to earn a better return, so he, you know, I paid him more. And he carried the financing. So what that did was um, it established, uh, I guess, a, a business relationship with this seller. So every month I had a payment to make to him. Uh, you know, I always made, to, I always paid on on time. In fact, most of the time I paid early, and uh, and a lot of times in this, you know, early on, uh, since he lived, you know, near my house, uh, you know, on my way to go and look in front of the property, I'd call him up and say, Hey, I've got a check. Can I just go drop it off with you? And I, you know, I'd, I'd hand deliver uh, the monthly mortgage payment. So when when I when I hand deliver the monthly mortgage payment, what it allowed me to do is to to give you know five or ten minutes with them and just kind of chat about things that were going on. Yeah. And uh, you know, after about six months of doing this, and you know, he started asking me more about my real estate business. That was one of the questions he posed. He said, you know, I, I remember you saying something about you you know using private money. He said, how does that work? And you know, what do you pay? And back at the time, I was paying 7%. So I said, you know, I pay 7%. And he literally looked at me and said, oh, my God, I wish you, you would have told me sooner. He said, I've, <laughs> I got money in the bank. It's been earning next to nothing. I want to just take it out. And, and he said, you know, you, you have any other investments that you might be um, looking for private money? Um, and at the time, I had to kind of realize that, you know, I didn't want to barf all over the guy and say, oh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, freaking out because I think this is a great thing. But, you know, I... I I kept my cool as best I could, and I said, you know, I, right now I've got other lenders that are I'm working with. Uh, you know, can I give you a call if I have something that comes up in the future? And so he said, sure. And sure enough, after about a month, I gave him a call on a deal, and 
Nice. He, he lent on that first one, and, and we've had a great uh, you know investor lender relationship since. So he's lent on, on quite a few deals for me, and uh, and he's partnered up with me on uh, on a few now where I actually don't have a payment anymore um, on some of these deals. So that's kind of another like little cool little twist that I've had recently on on some transactions. So, nice. so you nice. work well, you work together so you don't have a payment because he's going to get the back end instead. You're saying? Well, he, uh, yeah. So I, 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 after the market crashed and I was doing a lot of flipping, but I wasn't really most of the properties that I was holding were not. I wasn't intending to ho- to hold them. I was just kind of like trying to keep them, you know, my my head above water. So they didn't have much cash flow. I realized I need to start buying houses and cash flow properties so that I don't have to flip a house every month just to you know, to pay the bills. And so I started buying uh, small multifamily properties in Bremerton, you know, duplexes. Nice. Uh, they were, you know, the benefit of being able to borrow at six and 7% is that when you borrow, if you buy properties at a discount, then you're able to cut those to cash flow um, at that, at that interest rate. So I started, you know, picking up a couple duplexes here, a couple duplexes there where one side would pay the mortgage, the other side would be all cash flow. So it was basically about $300 per door or about $600 per building. Um, and I was using the private mon- lender money for that. Uh, so that helped me to get uh, you know, good recurring cash flow uh, so that you know, it helped the, uh, smooth out the bumps from between flipping. And uh, you know, I, I had heard you know, some investors talking about doing deals where instead of borrowing where you're paying an interest rate, uh, you know, you work a a split with the with the lender. So instead of having a payment, you know, the lender in, uh, lends all the money. Uh, you put the tenant in after you do the fix up, and as income comes in, you pay your expenses and you split the net profit. Yeah. And so what that allowed me to do was to really you know smooth out the cash flow bumps because you know when the, the time that you purchase the house and, and remodel it, your the property is vacant before you can find a tenant. I mean, if you have to pay a mortgage payment every month on that, and then you're multiplying that by multiple properties, it can get pretty expensive. So it's nice to not have a payment. And uh, for the lender, it, it basically works out to about the same interest rate as I would otherwise pay. Um, but now we get to, he gets to participate in the equity when we ultimately sell. Yeah. So gotcha. it's uh, yeah. I love it. So it's so creative. I mean, the the bottom line is you know. If if you're smart about how you approach your relationships, and uh, you know, obviously, you're not going to get there overnight. But mm-hmm. you know, in terms of working with with these private money lenders, I mean, theoretically, it's an untapped source of unlimited funds for somebody who knows how to do it. I mean, sure. you know, you're, you know, if you tap out your your you know guy A, then you know you got B, C, D, and E, and you know you keep going until you find more guys and and. The, that's really how the big guys are doing this, their business anyway. You know, these big, huge deals are happening the same way, right? Yeah, and, and you know, you don't even need to have many private lenders. When you find two or three good ones, yeah. uh, you know, oftentimes they're going to be able to do multiple deals where uh, you know you just know that you've got money for your next one, and they're interested and eager to to participate because you know it's the only reason that they're going to lend is because they're making you know a better return or a safer return than or a more secure return. Than what they were getting in other investments, uh, so and, and you know I I like to I don't like to use the word safe when it comes to real estate investing, especially when you're borrowing private money. You know, there's a lot of uh, you know it's pretty regulated, and so you, you know you want to be able to look up what you can and can't do as far as uh, you know soliciting for private money. One of the kind of words that you don't want to use is safe. You know, you yeah, can't say no, safe is, an investment is safe or guaranteed, or you can't 
you know, so there, there, there's some, you know, I prefer the word secure because um, real estate and, uh, you know, private money is secured against real estate. And so, uh, you know, for, for lenders that are looking for a regular, consistent, secure return, uh, you know, this is a, this is a good avenue for them to, to go out. That's awesome. I love it. I love it. Um, yeah, private money is probably, I mean, favorite strategy of anything. Like, again, it's kind of like the golden goose that you get to. So mm-hmm. uh, very cool. I'm glad we got to cover that today. We could probably talk for like forever on all oh, these yeah. different strategies. So we're <laughs> in and I are scrabbling on our notes right here back yeah. and forth. It's really funny. We literally had like 30 more questions. We yes. were going to do a show on all these different things. We're like, you know what? We're just going to talk about private money. We're going to keep digging in, keep digging Sounds in. Good. And, and uh, so awesome, awesome stuff. Cool. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll get you back to talk about more of this other stuff in the, in the very near future. But uh, let's transition this thing and move over to the fire round. It's time for the fire round. All right, the fire round. These questions come direct from the Bigger Pockets forums, which people can get to by going to biggerpockets.com slash forums. They can uh, ask questions, answer them, whatever. Uh, first question I'm going to throw at you. Uh, how do I get the ARV or after repair value on a multifamily? Uh, so on a multifamily, you know, I guess it depends on the size of the multifamily property because multifamily properties are appraised differently depending on how many units. You know, one to four units is is considered residential. A lot of times they are appraised on the comparable sales approach. Um, when you start getting five units and up, a lot of times they're appraised on the income approach. Uh, so. Um, the, you know, the first thing I would do when it when it comes to trying to determine the ARV, you you, you want to have somebody that is on your team that can is a professional that can give you that, that solid advice. If you've never looked up comps on a house, I mean, there's a lot of online tools that you can get free, um, you know, websites that you can start looking for properties um, and and comparable values. But um, you know, if you're looking for a multifamily property, um, you might want to contact a real estate agent who is familiar with multifamily properties because. You know, again, they're based off of cap rates and, you know, a lot of other equations, not just on, hey, what's, what's, in, what's the nearest comp and how much did that sell for? So you got to look at the income and expenses and all that. Yep. Um, so always get help. Whatever you don't know, someone else does. Yeah, there cool. you go. There you go. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, how do I know if a home I'm looking at is a good deal or not? Uh, well, I guess it depends on what your, uh, your exit strategies, what's your intent with the property? So if you're looking at something that might be, um, if your intent is to buy and keep for cash flow, uh, then you're going to be looking at things like, uh, you know, it, after I, if I buy this property, when it's all fixed up and I have a certain payment, after paying my taxes and insurance and my mortgage and my uh, maintenance and potentially management, well, how much money is left over for me? So if you're buying for cash flow, you want to make sure that that house actually does cash flow. Um, if you're looking at the property uh, from a, a buy and flip standpoint, you have to determine, okay, if I purchase this house and uh, I put all the money into it and I leave myself a little bit of a buffer in case I have to, my, I go over budget, how much money, how much equity will I have? And if I had to, if I sold the house um, based on where I think the property would sell for and after paying all realtor fees and accounting for, uh, you know, holding costs, uh, you know, how much is left for me? And so you want to be able to set set guidelines for, uh, you know, what you consider deal. You know, for me, if it's a buy, fix and flip, I want to be at no more than 70 cents on the dollar after, you know, after all the fix ups done, I want to have 30% equity so that I can use a real estate agent, try to sell it quickly, price it right and still have say about 20% profit. Nice. Great. Next question. I'm about to purchase a multifamily property and I'm wondering what is best, a 15 year 
or a 30-year mortgage? Mm, that's a great question. I think that also depends on your goals as an investor. You know, about if you you know if you're one of your goals is to pay that property off as quickly as possible. Fifteen year mortgages will save you a lot over time on the the, the total amount of interest that you pay on a building. Um, but I think that if the fifteen year mortgage, because your expenses are higher, then your cash flow is going to be lower. So if a if a property that you're buying on a fifteen year note means that you're going to have to feed it every single month, I don't think that's a smart way to go. I think it's important to be able to make sure that the the investment pays for itself. So you have cash flow on that that unit or that property from the day you buy it. That may mean um, going into a 30-year loan because it'll allow you to have better cash flow now. And uh, you know, so if you can get away with a 15-year loan and still have good cash flow, then um, I like the idea of paying that off as quickly as possible because that ultimately will allow you to increase, you know, when that 15 years is up, um, all of a sudden your positive cash flow is enormous compared to what it was when you had that loan. Yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. Cool. Cool. All right. What are the advantage of setting up my own management company to manage my own properties versus hiring it out? Uh, well, you know, I actually manage my own properties. What I don't, don't, I don't do right now is I don't pay myself for management. I probably should. Um, oh yeah. So I might not be the best person to answer the advantages <laughs> of doing that. Um, I will though say that, uh, I've I've started using Buildium to to manage my properties. Um, I think Brandon, you maybe tried that out once. Yeah, I haven't like I, I used them a couple times, but I haven't like fully committed yet. So, I, oh man, I, I, I yeah. love I love Buildium. Um, so right now I manage uh, a little over thirty units, and you know I was I would consider myself now I um, I look back at how I did manage my properties before, and I think man, I was a horrible property manager. <laughs> You know, because I, I started off and it was like you know rent was due in the first, but late after the fifth. So all my tenants paid you know closer to the fifth, and uh, you know when you have mortgages due on the first, you know you try to create yourself a little problem when you have to float all that money before you have all your your rents in. And uh, you know if a tenant paid late, I didn't have a good way to track late fees, and so it was like oh I call this tenant up and say hey you you know you miss you miss rent supposed to be in yesterday, so you've got a forty dollar late fee. And, uh, you know, maybe they'd pay me on that day, but they wouldn't include the late fees. So now I had to remember to come after them like the following yep. month to try to collect. And that never worked out. And yep. uh, so, you know, what Buildium allowed me to do was to, um, you know, let the system uh, not only do the payment notifications, but also collect the late fees. So, you know, if, if the late fee happened, they would automatically get notif- notified. It would go on their lease ledger. If they didn't pay it, it would show up next month. And uh, five days before the payments due, they get a reminder. And uh, you know, applications. I mean, it, all, they they do a full credit report and and uh, background check. I don't have to do, you know, all these little separate things. I'll basically let the system help manage the properties. So now, you know, myself, I'm able to to manage thirty units um, with honestly not a whole lot of extra time out of my day because uh, of using it. So I I really recommend it. Cool. Nice. Yeah, I need nice. I, I need to dig in more. And there yeah. are lots of other platforms as well. Oh yeah, that, yeah, that absolutely. You know, and it's you got to. I mean, having you find what works for you. Yeah, yeah. It's you know the, the Excel method was what I tried before, and that yep. really did not work. That's what we're yeah. doing right now, and and it. My wife, <laughs> my wife holds it together, but you know, I, I feel like we could do so much better. Like, and I know oh, we sure. could. I know we could. So I just got to yeah. do it. So cool. All right, moving on awesome. to the end of the awesome. show. The uh, world famous. Famous for. Famous for number one. What is your favorite real estate book? 
Ah, favorite book. You know, Brandon, I think that you recommended this one, uh, Landlording on Autopilot by Mike Butler. That is a great that book. Yep. Yeah, that that was a fantastic book. I read that this year. So nice. that that's one that helped me out on uh, uh, basically being a property manager because I'm not outsourcing that. Yeah, nice. fantastic nice. book. You know, you know what I love about this conversation? You're somebody who's been doing this for over a decade now and you're still learning and, you know, I make tons of mistakes. <laughs> well, yeah, that's, I mean, and, you know, we all talk about it. That's the beauty of this whole thing. Yeah. You, you know, the, and I always harp on this, but the guy who says, Hey, I'm the expert. I know everything. Please go the other way, guys. That's like, right. Do not, do not turn to those guys for help because, you know, they're not telling you the truth. Yeah. Um, I actually cool. came out, I came out and spoke at, you know, Mike's uh, uh, real estate club a while back. And that's one of the things that, you know, I really liked about you, Mike, is that you were so honest about like, everything about your struggles, about what you're doing, about what you're, sure. you know, what you need. I just thought it was great. And so like, I look up to you because of that, you know, and I see you as somebody I can learn from uh, because you're open and honest. And I wish yeah. more people realize that. Anybody yeah. who says that they're in this business and they don't make mistakes or they, you know, don't, you know, lose money on a property or something like that, or, you know, most of them are, are, are full of it. I mean, yeah. you, you yeah. have to have some, um, you have to understand that there's always something to learn. And, and if you, once you, when you think you know it all, that's when you're, you're, you're bound for failure because, um, you know, stuff happens and you always definitely. have to be learning. Definitely. Definitely. All right, cool. What's your favorite business book? Ah, okay. So we, 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 there's a couple that I probably shouldn't be mentioning because everybody else mentions them. So, <laughs> um, you know, we, we, people talk about the e-myth. Um, I'm actually going to give another book that I read, which is great for systematizing businesses. Um, and I think, I think I saw Brandon, he wrote an article that included this is called work the system by Sam Carpenter. Yeah. And <clears throat> work the system is, uh, it's similar to the e-myth. Um, I was able to, I found it a lot easier to digest and kind of, uh, take in. So, um, it's about systematizing your business and working on your business instead of in your business. And, uh, you know, I think that he still offers a uh, free digital download of it, too, so on his oh, cool. website. So nice. work the system. Yeah, I have that actually awesome. in my bookshelf right back here. Oh, sweet. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Awesome. All right. Cool, cool. And what about hobbies? What do you do for fun? I, I see the football behind you, the uh Oh yeah, the, the Seahawks. Seahawks. Woo woo! Yeah, <laughs> go, Bron- go Broncos. Oh, Wait. Man. Yeah, they. Wow, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, my wife and I are both huge Seahawks fans. You know, we, we were uh, lucky enough to win the opportunity to buy tickets to the Super Bowl last year through because we're season oh, ticket nice. Oh, oh, oh. So that Did was incredible. Paint while you go there. I mean? uh, we didn't do the face paint. Um, <laughs> you know, but we do. You know, we're not. We don't get all dolled up like some of the crazy fanatics. But um, you know, we're there you know, we're, we're both huge fans. So, you know, we go to most of the games and, you know, we're just really excited about the, the Hawks, but, you know, outside of that, outside of football, uh, you know, in the summer, in the spring, I love playing golf. I love getting out there and it's just, a, it's a great way to relax. Uh, I've been playing for, for quite a few years. So that's a great, you know, fun hobby. And then, um, you know, I like the outdoors too. So in the, in the fall, I like to, I fish and hunt and, and spend time in the mountains. That's kind of one of my, you know, longtime hobbies. So, you're Those taking are, you're taking me golfing this summer, just so you know. Oh, absolutely. I'm just gonna put that out there. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> See how I invite myself in? Absolutely <laughs> nothing relaxing about the game of golf. I don't know what you is know, wrong with you, but you know. Yeah. It, it's you know, it, it's really hard at first and it's really frustrating. It's even frustrating after you've played it for a while, but um oh yeah, it, I I love it. Nice. All right. Nice. All right. All right. My my final question of the day. What do you believe sets apart successful real estate investors from those who give up, fail, or never get started? You know, I think without a doubt, it's um, kind of relates to what I said towards the beginning about uh, taking action before knowing everything. And, uh, you know, so getting yourself out of that education trap where you think you've got to learn the next quick tip or next, um, you know, 
strategy to make money quick in real estate. You 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 want to set yourself up so that you're into action, you're talking to sellers, you're doing marketing to get uh, sellers contacting you. And then when you're along the, the way, that's when you're, you get the on-the-job training. And you're not going to have all the answers, but what you can do is you can take action and you can check your work before you have to commit. So when it comes to, say, making an offer on a house, put the offer out. You know, you, you might have an inspection contingency and you can use other people, professionals in their industries to be able to check your numbers to make sure it's a good deal. Yeah, fair enough. Rock on. Awesome, Love it. awesome. All right, Mike, where can people find out more about you? Uh, you know, you can find me on Bigger Pockets, um, Mike Sumsky. And uh, also, you know, I have a blog, MikeSumsky.com. Occasionally I'll post uh, real estate in- information so uh, they can find me there too. Awesome, man. Very awesome. cool. Listen, thank you so much for coming on. You know, I, I think, uh, as, as Brandon said, we're definitely going to have to bring you back and, and talk about some of these other things. This was great. Tons of amazing uh, bits of information. So uh, thanks for being here, man. It was a lot of fun. Thanks, guys. All right, guys, that was Mike Sumsky. Big thanks to Mike for being on the show. That was awesome. Lots of cool stuff. I I, I love how we, we kind of covered the other side of private money. I think it's something that a lot of people have always wondered about. Uh, I thought it was awesome. Yeah, yeah, I think that's cool. I think I, I think it's nice to be able to see from both sides kind of how a, a private money lender thinks and how yep. you can attract that. Because I mean, half of our audience probably is looking to borrow private money, and the other half is looking to lend private money. Yep. And uh, yeah, that's the beauty of bigger pockets, right? It brings everybody together. It Love does. It. it does. And if if you're not on bigger pockets, then you should be. Create a profile, set it up. It's free. Get on there, introduce yourself to the community, let people know who you are, what you're looking for. You know, it's like the world's greatest marketplace for real estate, everything. So uh, get out there and get involved and and participate and share and let people know who you are and what you're doing. And Brandon is taking a photograph of me while I'm podcasting. Unprecedented. Take the picture. Take the picture. I don't think he knows how to take a picture. Shocking. All right. Um, Otherwise, guys, Thanks for uh, thanks for listening to the show. If you have yet to leave us a review, a rating on iTunes, please do that. Those ratings really, really help us. The reviews help us out. They help us expand the audience, get new people listening, joining bigger pockets, becoming a part of our world. And uh, you know, obviously, the more people that join us and, and get involved, the uh, the bigger our audience becomes, and the more opportunities that uh, we create for everybody. So you know, get involved. Come on down and uh, thank you for listening to the Bigger Pockets podcast. I hope everybody uh, watches the YouTube video of this show when it comes out so you can see Brandon becoming a little uh, photography diva here, taking photos of us as uh, as we record for some reason. But uh, thanks again, guys. Show 106 on the Bigger Pockets podcast. I'm Josh Dorkin, signing off. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio. Simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. There's a reason small multifamily investing is so popular in the Bigger Pockets community. With just a 3.5% down payment, you can own up to four different units. Think about it. If you house hack and live in one of the units, you still have three different groups of tenants helping you pay down your mortgage every month, four kitchens and bathrooms you could renovate to increase your property value, four different Airbnbs, 
medium-term rentals, or other rental strategies that you can try in one property, all in just one transaction. Of course, the question is, where do you find a small multifamily property that you can actually afford? Which market and which deals are best for you? Once you close, how do you manage it, optimize it, keep scaling, and living your life without being tied down to four leaky toilets or four fussy tenants? All great questions, my friends. All to be answered in the upcoming Small Multifamily Bootcamp with Chris Lopez and Leica Devatha. So if you're serious about growing your portfolio with this highly efficient strategy, head to biggerpockets.com slash four, F-O-U-R. Today, and join us in the Small Multifamily Bootcamp. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.